This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. We, we read from verses 4 through 10, and we'll do that again this morning and taking uh, another portion of this section. 1 Peter chapter 2. And Peter says to these early Christians, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Great truths. This is the word of God. May he bless the reading and hearing of it to your hearts. Lord, we ask again, in all, Lord, authenticity and honesty, we need your spirit to work in our hearts. We ask God that you would give power to your word, that you would cause us to be receptive, that where there is a need for understanding, you'd grant it, and where our hearts need to be changed, you would do that work. Lord, bless your word to our hearts, those who are gathered here and those who listen or view from afar. Lord, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen, thank you. Well, we had titled this series, Living Hope for Suffering People. Remind you that Peter's readers uh, were members of several mostly Gentile churches in what we call northern Turkey today, and they were, they were beginning to suffer severely for their faith. They were experiencing tremendous social pressure. They were on the very cusp of imperial persecution, and Peter is trying to fill them with hope in Christ that they might endure joyfully in this life and their Christian walk. And the hope that Peter uh, was giving to them and to us, we mentioned, is found or is rooted in uh, their identity in Christ, our identity in Christ. Uh, we mentioned again last week that knowing your identity in Christ is important because it answers the two very fundamental questions. Who are you? And then having answered that, well, then what are you 
here for? And a Christian will have a very distinct uh, set of answers to those questions, won't we? <laughs> very different from the outside world. We also reiterated that Christian identity is found in what God has done, is doing, and will do for us in Christ Jesus. That is, through our union with Him, that spiritual union that takes place through God's work of the Holy Spirit by faith. Uh, Peter wants you and me to learn uh, what our identity is in Christ and to embrace it. Not just know about it, but to embrace it and then learn how to live it out. Live it out in the context of the church family and living it out in the context of the world. In the context of the church family, we are offering sacrifices that are acceptable to God. We build each other up. And in the context of the outside world, we proclaim His excellencies. Because he has transferred us out of darkness and brought us into his light. Living in Christ must always result in living for Christ. Because a new status uh, will produce a new behavior. And why is that? Because a, a new status is what we are. It's not just a title. When he says that you are living stones... He's saying, you are living stones. That's, I know that's a metaphor, but he's talking about a spiritual reality. Something's taking place. And this new status that brings new potential then will lead to a new life, new behavior. That's just the, that's just the way it is. Now, chapter 2, uh, you see, is laden. It's pregnant with several identity markers uh, that belong to Christians. And... Uh, Though I speak of you as an individual Christian, the, the real emphasis in, this, in what we've read is in our corporate identity, our identity markers uh, together. Uh, one becomes a Christian individually. Uh, you are born again when you hear the gospel. and you, rep you respond in faith and repentance because of the work of the Holy Spirit. One becomes a Christian individually, personally, but one grows corporately. One lives corporately. We are one body, as uh, Paul, the apostle, would put it. And so you think about some of these identity markers. He says you are living stones being built up, uh, and the implication is together, into a spiritual house, a temple, was what he's getting at, in which God dwells. You are a holy priesthood. He's talking there corporally. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, using a different adjective there. A people for God's own possession. Each of these corporate markers of Christian identity, they all convey something very important about who you are. Who you are in Christ, what God has made you to be, and they are very clear answers to the question, Who am I? <laughs> and therefore, what am I here for? You see. Oh, here you have it. Peter lays it out very clearly. Now, last week we focused on the fact that we are living stones being built up into a spiritual house. And now we focus on that second. Uh, metaphor that we are a holy priesthood 
He says, this is a clear purpose of being built up into a spiritual house. He says, we are to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says, you are being built up into a spiritual house that you might be, that's what we are, a holy priesthood that you might offer. That is what we are to do, right? Spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Uh, I like to just simply frame the rest of our time with three questions. Uh, uh, what, is, what is this holy priesthood of which he's talking about? And then how is it that we become or one becomes a holy priest? And then lastly, what are these spiritual sacrifices that we offer to God? That are acceptable through Jesus Christ. Those three basic questions can frame our time. What is the holy priesthood? Well, first of all, just the word holy. By now, most of you know that uh, holiness and to be holy is not referring to just a list of external things, but to be holy is to be set apart. And we are a holy priesthood because we have been set apart by God for God. We've been consecrated by the Holy One, the Lord our God, through the sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God. So that's in part what makes us a holy priesthood. Now, when you, t you speak of priests, maybe images of, of men with long robes and a bunch of different kinds of jewelry and big old beards, that comes to mind, you know. Uh, but you are to think about the nature of what a priest is in the scriptures and what priests are, are called to do. Uh, this idea of a priest uh, is a thread that, that goes throughout the entire scriptures. It begins in the Garden of Eden. Adam was the first priest. He's not called that, but he was placed in the garden to protect and to serve. And when Moses writes that, he uses two Hebrew terms that refer to the priestly ministry. And when he wrote it, he wrote it in the context of the people of Israel. When the first readers of Genesis would have read that, they would have understood that reference immediately. And so the priesthood begins in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and it's a thread that goes throughout the Bible. But I'm going to focus mainly on, on, on the priesthood that follows the, when, when God ordained the priesthood for the nation of Israel. And what were the priests uh, in the uh, structure of the Old Covenant? Priests were mediators, remember that, right? They're mediators between God and human beings. Uh, priests spoke to God on behalf of people, and they spoke to people also on behalf of God. They had a tremendous privilege. Think about this. The priests were able to be in the inner courts of the tabernacle where God's presence was to reside. They were able to draw near to God. They were able to be around the very center of worship. They served God in the tabernacle and later in the, in the temple. The priests were responsible to teach the, the truth of the covenant to the people of God. On occasion, they would seek God's will for people in decision-making and so forth. They drew near to God. That's the point. And they guarded that sacred space. They, they, they ordered the worship of God. And one of their main ministries was the presentation 
of sacrifices, the offering of sacrifices that allowed themselves and others to draw near to God who wanted to dwell amongst his people. Now, why were sacrifices necessary? They were necessary because of our sin, our rebellion. Because of sin, uh, people cannot simply walk into the presence of God in His holiness. We cannot approach God in His holiness. The wages of sin is death, and, his, and God is utterly holy. But God made a way. God made a way to be approached. Uh, God made a way by His grace and by His love and His mercy, a way for Him to dwell in the midst of sinful people and allow sinful human beings to come near to Him, to know Him, to hear from Him, to worship Him. And if we, were, if we were to just speak of one principle that, that, that would sum up, well, what is that way that God made? We would say the way was the way of substitutionary atonement. That was the way, also known as penal substitution. What does this mean? It meant this, that the penalty, the penalty of human sin and guilt was laid upon an innocent other, an innocent substitute, an acceptable substitute was offered in the place of sinners to bear the curse, bear the penalty of their sin, and secure forgiveness and satisfaction or expiation before God. Of course, the worshiper would approach conscious of his or her sin and with faith. Now, these, these sacrifices... Uh, of, in, of innocent animals were symbolic. Uh, the blood of animals, bulls and goats, Scripture tells us, cannot take away people's sin. And an animal is not an adequate substitute. But these animal substitutes pointed to the final, glorious, perfect, once-for-all substitute for our sin. And that is the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sinless human being, the Lord Jesus Christ. These animal sacrifices pointed to and anticipated that final uh, sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Paul in the book of Romans says that God in the past passed over. He passed over our sins and guilt, not because there would be no atonement or not because the animals, uh, the death of the animals covered uh, people and paid for the price of their, of their guilt, but because he knew the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world was coming. And so that, the great ministry of priests was to be involved in all this sort of glorious activity of, of approaching the living God themselves and on behalf of others. They were mediators, intercessors, servants of God. So that is what a holy priesthood is. Now, he says, you, Christian, you belong to what? A holy priesthood. Well, how is it that we become holy priests or members of this holy priesthood? Well, in all of these activities, uh, the Old Testament priests prefigured or they foreshadowed a final perfect sinless mediatorial figure, a final priest, a final High priest. In other words, beloved, not only does the, the procedure of sacrifices uh, 
and the animal sacrifices, not only do those prefigure and point to an ultimate uh, sacrifice, but also the priests and their priestly ministry also pointed forward to uh, a great and final mediatorial figure who would have no need, this final high priest would have no need to offer sacrifices for his own sin because he would have no sin. He would be the perfect mediator. And it is, it is I think many of you know, it's the book of Hebrews that focuses and upon this and makes very clear the high priesthood, the perfect priestly ministry of Jesus. Now, for example, in Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews 7, speaking of Christ, our high priest, it says in verse 25, He is able to save to the uttermost forever, right? He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him like they used to draw near through other priests, right? Through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's been raised from the dead. For it was indeed fitting that we should, we Christians should have such a high priest. What's he like? Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests. Remember, the temple was still standing when the book of Hebrews was written. Like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He is both priest and sacrifice. For the law, he's talking about the law of Moses, which... Uh, which God spoke through to ordain the priestly ministry in the tabernacle. He says, The law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, the promise of God, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. You see, the Son of God, sinless, eternal priest, sinless one, right? Perfect priest and sacrifice. And then he says, he says, you want to know what I'm talking about? Chapter 8, verse 1. He says, now the point is this. Okay? Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. Amen? He's saying that's the kind of priest that we have. One, one who is not going into a copy, a physical material copy of the holy place where God dwells, but one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, you see, not in the replica on earth. <laughs> he is our high priest and sacrifice. And so all the Old Testament priestly ministries, both of the high priests and the Aaronic priesthood, they all prefigured this glorious uh, final high priest and you and I, if you're a Christian, we are priests of the Most High God because we are united to the great high priest by faith. It's through our union with him. Remember, beloved, <clears throat> that Christ is our head. We are the body. He is our head. And in him, we possess what he possesses. 
Uh, he is the Son of God. What are we called? The sons of God, right? Okay. He's been raised from the dead. What will happen to us? We will be raised from the dead. He is a, he is a great high priest. What are we called? We are the holy priesthood, you see. Uh, what, we, what we have, we possess through our union with him. He is the living stone, the cornerstone. And we are like, he says, living stones. All of this is because of our, uh, what is called mystical. Mystical because it's invisible. It's this spiritual union with Christ that takes place when a person uh, is awakened by the Holy Spirit to, to, to the gospel and, and, and believes and repents in Christ. We are united with him. We're made alive together with him. And so because he's a priest, you and I, our priests as well, all of us, every one of us. We have been made priests of the living God. And this is affirmed directly. Of course, Peter reaffirms it again in verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a kingly priesthood. We'll get into that next time. I won't get into that this time. But it's also affirmed by the Apostle John in the great vision of the apocalypse. And as he writes the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 1, in verse 6, beginning at the end of verse 5, to him, speaking of Jesus, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. He's the king of kings and we're kings too. He has made us a kingdom, priests, priests, to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever. And ever, and there you see it very clearly. Like he has made us what? Priests. He has made us priests. And then in that great song of worship that takes place in, in Revelation chapter 5, uh, that is reiterated <clears throat> when speaking of the Lamb who is holding the scroll that will open the judgment of God. It says there in verse 9, they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, right, and release the judgment of God. Bring about the end. For you were slain and by your blood, through the crucifixion, you ransomed or purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests. There it is again. We are priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And we say, hallelujah. <laughs> we say, come quickly. Maranatha, come quickly. Lord Jesus, bring about this great and glorious renewal. But the point here, of course, is that you and I have a tremendous privilege. It is just unbelievable. Understand what this means, beloved. You are a priest of God. By virtue of the blood of Christ, our great sacrifice and high priest, every one of you has the capacity to draw near to the very throne room of the living God by yourself, through Christ, through Christ, you know. And this is a privilege just beyond measure. You remember that in the Old Testament structure, in the Old Covenant, uh, the priestly role was limited to one tribe, one of the 12 tribes, the Levites, the descendants of Aaron. They had that glorious privilege, but the others did not. Even King David would draw near through, um, uh, through uh, the Levites uh, at, the, at the tabernacle. You could only draw near through that mediator. It's not that they could not pray or, or, or worship God. Uh, 
but that in order for this sense of affirmation of a clear conscience and the forgiveness of sins, you could not draw near except through others. You sought the will of God. David sought the will of God through priests and so forth. But now, beloved, now, in this glorious age of the gospel, the new covenant, all believers, all members of the new covenant, meaning all Christians, we are all, you are all mediators, you are all priests of God, you have a direct access to God the Father. Through Christ, all believers can come immediately and directly into the presence of God the Father. We have no further need for any of these Old Testament priests, nor any other fallible human priest today in order to approach the living God and to receive that sense of forgiveness and a clear conscience and to be able to speak to him and know that he hears us. You know, I was raised early on in the context of the Roman Catholic Church. And this was always uh, a question in my mind. And you know what it creates? It creates an unbelievable division, right, between the clergy and the laity. And that you need this individual to... help you have a sense or understanding of your sins being absolved and so forth. But we have no need of that. The work has been done. It's finished. Christ has paid the price, and he is our sole high priest, and he is not in some building here or some building there. He's in the holy places representing you and me, you see. That's why we have access. That's why Hebrews goes on to say, he says in Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 10 and verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence... To enter the holy places, the very presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, a living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. (laughs) Let us, priests, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Glorious news, huh? That is the glorious news of the fulfillment of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so though God is transcendent, he's high and lifted up. And I know at times that it feels that he is so distant from life's problems or what you see happening in history, in the world around you, he is as close to you as you seeking him through Christ. Just like that. You and I need to make no pilgrimage somewhere. We need to put no money in anything. We need to light no candles. We need to give no amount of anything. We need to exercise our faith that Christ is at the right hand of Father God Almighty and speak to God through him. That's a glorious privilege. Now, this doctrine was called, has been labeled <clears throat> the priesthood of all believers. It was, it was a doctrine that was uh, not invented, obviously, but recovered, brought back into the clear light after the medieval church darkened it and brought back to clear light through the ministry of those who were involved in the Great Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, Luther and Calvin among them. And it's simply this. What is the priesthood of all believers? Is that a Christian looks to Jesus alone as our high priest. Uh, There is no special caste among us that have 
that, that only they have this great privilege. We all have this privilege. We're all priests of God. And it was based on what? It's based on our equal standing before God. It's not based on your capacities. It's based on who you are in Christ. <clears throat> when Paul writes in Galatians, he says there's neither, in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And when Paul speaks that way, he is speaking about our spiritual status before the living God. He's not saying there are no differences between male and female. He's not saying that we don't have different gifts and capacities. We do. We have different spiritual gifts. And there are, there are different roles in the body of Christ. There are pastors, and there are teachers, there are evangelists, there are deacons and so forth. But what he's saying is your status before God, your ability to know God, approach God, be received by God, and live with a clear conscience that you are safe, all of that, you say, he says, belongs to all of you. Because in Christ Jesus, we stand the same. Sinners saved by the grace of the living God through our union with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not what the Roman Catholic Church continues to teach. And I quote from their catechism, Roman Catholic priests are mediators because the sinner cannot for himself draw near to God through Christ and obtain pardon and grace but can secure those blessings only through their interventions, the Roman Catholic priests. They say that the uh, priest is a sign from God of, of the assurance of forgiveness, but that grace can only be mediated through these priests. That can be uh, no further uh, from the truth than, than anything else I can imagine from what you've heard me. Let us draw near with confidence, okay? <laughs> Let us draw near to the living God with our burdens, our pains, our sorrows, and our sins, and know that in Christ we have a comforter, we have a savior, we have a merciful high priest who is with tempted in every way like we are, yet sinless, right? And ready and able to meet us with our, our, our need, with his grace and his mercy, because it does not depend on how well you've behaved since the last time you talked to him but it depends on his grace and his mercy. We simply come by faith. So here it is, beloved. You, have, you need to think about this. You have a glorious high calling and a gloriously high privilege. You are a priest of the living God, priests of the most high God. I have to ask you, how often do you ever think of yourself in that light? You think it would make a difference. You think it might make a difference if you were to think about that, not only for your own soul's benefit, but for the benefits of those around you, huh? I am, you are, and you need to be able to say this, I am a priest of the Most High God. In Christ, in Christ. That means you have the capacity to stand before God on behalf of yourself and on behalf of others, 
You have the capacity to stand before God, to intercede, and that's the nature of priestly ministry. What is it? It is, it is, directing, uh, it is directed towards the spiritual needs and physical needs of other people. And you have the capacity to do that in Christ as a priest of God. And like the priests of the Old Covenant and the great high priest Jesus himself, we offer sacrifices. He says, back to 1 Peter, he says, you are being built up as a spiritual house, verse 5 again, to be a holy priesthood, that's what we are, to what end? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Hmm. This is what we are to do. We are to offer our own sacrifices. What are our sacrifices? Before I say and we look to what our sacrifices are, let me reiterate what they are not. <laughs> we do not bring sacrifices for sin. We do not seek to atone for things we've done wrong or sins we have committed. That sacrifice, the sacrifice for sin was made once for all by Christ himself. Uh, Hebrews, again, just to keep quoting from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, 11, he says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be, should be made a footstool for his feet. For by, listen, for by a single offering, which was himself, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. At the end of this, he quotes from uh, the New Covenant promises, he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And then he writes, the author of Hebrews, where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. There's no longer any offering for sin. There is no place for this idea of the Roman Catholic Mass of the continual offering of the body of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Where there has been this one offering and where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. Praise God. You, as a priest of God, you bring your sacrifices, but they are not sacrifices for sin. <laughs> because that has been dealt with forever. I hope you see that. And may God give each of you the faith to rest in the finished work of Christ. That's where peace lies. Amen? That's where comfort is found. Uh, not in your merits, but in the payment of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are these sacrifices then when Peter says they're spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ? He is not explicit right there, but the rest of the New Testament is, and Paul also speaks of this, our life as Christians as, as being uh, offerings and, and sacrifices. It all begins with self-consecration. In other words, the sacrifice of our own lives. In Romans chapter 12, it's a great turning point in Romans 12, right? For eight chapters, uh, 
Paul uh, elaborated on the glorious grace of God by which we are justified through faith in Christ Jesus, how we have been united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. And then at the end of, and he's given us his Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, and then chapters 9 through 11, he deals with the question, well, how can this be true if the Jews have rejected Jesus? He goes on to say, oh, that's, that's not all of it, there's more. And then he comes to Romans chapter 12, and he turns the corner, he's, here's how he wants you to react to all that God's done for you in Christ Jesus. He says, Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. In other words, in light of these mercies that I've I've been elaborating for you to present your bodies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrifices were killed, right? And we are a living sacrifice sacrifice a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual or your rational worship in other words it's just it's 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 understandable <laughs> that we should give God our very bodies when he has given us all that he's given us in Christ Jesus living sacrifices you know Voss in his book the priesthood of all believers he notes that there are six priestly terms in Romans 12:1 alone. To present, or offer your translation might say, sacrifice, holy, acceptable, spiritual, and worship or service, depending on your, on your, on your translation. See, all of these are priestly terms. And so Paul has that priestly concept in mind taken all together the picture is one of a priestly service here is your priestly service it is what based upon the mercies of god keeping those in mind you present yourself as a sacrifice to god but a living sacrifice in other words to live for him now it says body of course says present your bodies and the word soma for bodies is often taken too narrow, too literal, as if just your body, but not your mind, or, you know, that's not his point. Uh, what he's talking about, he's saying, is, in other words, what Paul's saying is not just with your lips. It's not mere lip service. God wants your whole being. You see, your whole life you live out how? Through your body. <laughs> so be a living sacrifice. That's what he's referring to. You are never, in other words, you are never not a priest of the living God. You are never not a priest. You are always a priest of the living God. Your life is a priestly service. You live your life as a living sacrifice uh, as for, for the sake of worship of God for what he's done for you in Christ. There's no neutral zone. You know, The priest would take off his robe when his, his responsibilities were over in the tabernacle. You know, you can imagine him going home and saying, now I'm going to watch some football, you know. And it's like, no, you're always a priest. <laughs> always a priest uh, of the living God. It's quite a conscious idea. Your entire life is spiritual service, whether it be inside the temple, meaning with the church, or whether it be outside the temple, proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you, right? We're always the priests of God. Samuel uh, uh, 
in 1 Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And what Paul is saying, obedience is your sacrifice. <laughs> that is your sacrifice. They say you are a living sacrifice for Christ. And so it begins there with our, the self-consecration of our own lives for the Lord, being conscious that I am a priest of God. And then it also extends to praise. To praise. I'm returning through the book of Hebrews in chapter 13, that section of response to God's grace. And Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him, through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. There's another sacrifice. A sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The fruit of lips. To say that we worship God uh, with our bodies does not mean we don't worship him with our lips. Yes, it's not mere lip service, but it surely involves our lips, right? It involves our praises in the temple as priests together and our praises outside the temple proclaiming his excellencies, right, to the world. We'll focus on that next time. I'm focusing on the, on the, on the temple side, the church side uh, this morning. You know, our, our capacity to praise God from our hearts, with our lips, and mean it in our songs, our worship, our prayers, being together. That is a priestly ministry to those around you. It is, it, it is what lifts them up at times. There's times that some of you come in this room and you can barely open your, your mouth because your lips are quivering because of the pain or the, or the, or the trouble you have in your life. And the priests that surround you offer up their sacrifice of praise with thankfulness and your hearts get filled, you see. This is a priestly ministry to one another. You ever walk, in a, you walk into a room and, and there's an air in the room. We might call it an air. We call it an environment. You walk in the room at times and you say, Okay, what's wrong? Did you guys just have a fight in here? <laughs> uh, you walk into a room, and you're hugged, you're greeted. There's an energy, there's things going on, you see, an ambiance. The church is an environment of gratitude and praise to the living God, you see. And that is a sacrifice that you and I make uh, for, and offer to God, and, and it ministers to others. Paul, for example, in Colossians chapter 3, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That word goes deep into us. How does it come into us? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And how do we do that? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, you see. And so there, this environment of gratitude. And thanksgiving is what should fill our homes, our community groups, our church family. That is a priestly ministry. A priestly ministry to acknowledge 
the goodness of God even in the hardships of life to lift him up and praise him for all he's doing in your life. And that energizes your brothers and sisters. I know it does to me too. And so we, we, we offer this sacrifice of our very lives. We offer the sacrifice of praise and adoration inside and outside. But we also offer the sacrifice of deeds of love. Uh, our sacrifice of praise must not become mere lip service. It must also become sacrificial acts of, of mercy, grace, and love towards each other. Going back to Hebrews 13, he says this, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And then he goes on to say, Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Right? These kind of sacrifices. Yes, the sacrifices of lips, but also the sacrifices of doing good, meeting the needs of your brothers and sisters. These sacrifices are, are pleasing to God, for they also reflect the great gift of His own Son. He gave us what was most precious to Him, His Son. And Christ left the glories of heaven in order to serve you and me. He put others ahead of himself, and he says, this is what we do as priests as well. We meet each other with our tangible sacrifices. In the book of Philippians, Paul says his own life was like a sacrifice uh, for those people that he was serving. In Philippians 2.17, he says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad, and I rejoice with you all. Even if serving you, says Paul, as an apostle, as your teacher, and here suffering and in, in, in being in, in this prison, proclaiming the gospel and writing to you, even if I'm poured out as an offering, he goes, I'm pleased to do it for your sake. And in chapter 4 of Philippians, he reflects on the financial gift that was sent to him by them. Um... In chapter 4, verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, that was a messenger they sent, the gifts you sent. Here's how he describes the financial gift they sent him. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And there you have it, you see. There you have it. What are the sacrifices of this holy priesthood that are acceptable to God, they are our very lives, self-consecration to God, living for Him day in, day out, our praises and our deeds of mercy and love. Uh, how do we do that? Keeping the mercies of God in mind, right? I urge you, not out of your own energy, not out of guilt, but what? By the mercies of God based on them and believing in them and remembering and reflecting upon them, you can be a priest that is living out your life for God day in and day out. I want to point out one last thing on this, and that is that both Hebrews and Philippians use the word of these sacrifices, pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. Acceptable. But these terms in both contexts as well, in 
as in Peter and in Romans, have a sense of, 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 a, of a pleasure in God, pleasing to God. Let that encourage you, please. Let, the, let this encourage you. Um, you know, we often work, and perhaps some of you, in your workaday life, you work for someone like I did years ago. I had a warehouse job. You work for someone where no matter what you do, you can't please them. No matter how early, how late, how hard, how right, how much, you just can't please them. But all of your sacrifices, however small, your praises, your living for Christ, all of them are not only acceptable, they are pleasing to God because they come how? Through Christ, you see. They are the fruit of faith. They are the fruit of a new life with your, uh, with your connection with His Son. And so they're pleasing to God. I know it was like that sometimes with my dad before he came to Christ in those early years working for him and the construction company jobs, you know, it's just, I can't get him to say, well done. (laughs) (laughs) But here, I want you to hear this and be encouraged. You might think, I I don't have this big role, or I can't, I'm not known for this or that. Listen, sometimes it's easier to think you're saving the world. To go out there in some big project this year. We're going to go do this huge thing in the name of the church. It's easier to think you can save the world than change a dirty diaper. But both can be pleasing to God, right? And God's more concerned with what? With you pleasing Him with what's right in front of you. Because all of life for you, you see, is sacred. And all of life has value because you are a priest of the Most High God. And so don't don't worry about, I haven't changed the world. The next year we're going to start this project. I think we're going to collect all these funds and we're going to go. God just wants you to change the dirty diaper for His glory. Whatever it is you do, whether you eat or you drink, do it all to the glory of God, you see, as a priest of the living God. Well, let's just... Take a few moments, final application. I don't want to, I've been emphasizing the, the sort of the individual element of it because I'm speaking to you as an individual, but the emphasis here, remember, is what? It's corporate, the church as a whole. And he's talking about that the church as a whole, but also local expressions of it. Uh, we, we are these priests together, and we're meant to benefit from the priesthood as priests and receiving the priestly ministry of others. How? when we're being built up as a spiritual house, right? The only way to receive the the grace that a priest can minister to you on behalf of Christ is to be surrounded by other priests, you see. And you you can't just do this in isolation. It has to be through interaction. So I'm back to that again. uh, to, to, To bear one another's burdens, be together, to gather together, to spend time Together, we need to be with those or speak with those that can minister God's grace to us. And, you know, we often know who they are, you know. I won't say it, but we all have some of our favorite little priests, don't we? <laughs> Where we say, I'm going to call her. I need to hear her. 
I'm going to call him. Uh, this last week, I lost a second friend. And so in the last 10 days, two former band members of mine have, have just suddenly passed away. And uh, not only did I share that with Sherry and interact with her, but I got on the phone with another priest who knew us both and knew all this and, and spent a good half hour uh, yesterday on the phone just reflecting and receiving what? His priestly ministry to me. So we are a priesthood together, beloved. I, I can't overemphasize that in, in our age of rugged American individualism, right? Uh, and then secondly, I return to this idea of where you find your identity. Where you find your identity is important. There are many implications. What does the world teach you? The world teaches you we are what we do. Or we are what we achieve. Or we are what we possess. Or lastly, in now and day and age, we are whatever we want to say we are. That's what we hear constantly in the world. We gather together as a spiritual house, as the priesthood of Almighty God. We come together to remember that we are not what we do. We are not what we possess. We are not what we achieve. We're not what we choose. We are what God has made us in Christ Jesus. And so we gather to remind each other these things. Get, let that sink in. And then we go back out as priests of God. We're not what we do. We are what, what we are in Christ Jesus. You know, if, you're, if your identity is wrapped up solely in what you do, there's a coming a day when it's going to crumble. Why? Because you won't always be able to do what you do. <laughs> and you may not even do it good anymore. <laughs> you're just lying to yourself. <laughs> And if your entire identity is wrapped up in what you do, it's going to crumble. And someone says, well, didn't you just say I could, I could, I could even change diapers to the glory of God or, and that I find energy in that? Absolutely. These vocations that God gives us, parents, as, parent, as parents, as, as, as business owners, as employees, yes, but they're not the foundation of our identity. They are expressions of it. Our identity is rooted in something that is unchanging. 